But, you know, I just want to start off on the right foot. The Bible says give honor where honor is due. Even as we just heard in worship a moment ago, most churches lock their doors and they just turn a blind eye to tonight and say, we don't know what to do with it. So I want to honor the staff and the leadership, uh, the pastoral. But I know most importantly, they would want me to honor who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray, you guys. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you that you were on the throne, that you were good. God, that you would speak even now to every person in this place that you have drawn them unto yourself. They are here to listen to worship, to eat not too much candy, but God, to hear from heaven. And Lord, even as I share tonight my story, the chaos of me, we see the significance of you and the cross, the blood and the life, God, the resurrection. We just pray for your spirit to be in our midst tonight, God. And even as we look at the word, speak to us that sinners will become saints and that your saints will be encouraged. And in Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. Amen. i got a preaching partner already. That's too much candy. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I am going to get to Genesis 3 in a little while. But I'm going to kind of go through my story. We're going to have a lot of verses show up on the screen. And not that I told Pastor this, but I'm not going to be giving any prophetic words tonight. But I do know something that you were all thinking. You were all thinking, this guy sounds really crazy. This guy is speaking with a accent. But can I just tell you something? Before me are a bunch of, what are you called, Coloradians? What do you say? Coloradians, Americans, trying to speak what language? English. I am not one with the accent. Amen. The Bible says the truth will set you free. So this is how you're all meant to sound. Please don't sound like this. I'm kidding. But here's the reality as we just jump right into this. Is where do we go tonight? I mean, it is called Halloween. You know, we have this whole idea of darkness. We do have a harvest festival where they gave away so much candy. I mean, I think my kids are out there in the foyer sugared up on more candy than they've had in the last 10 years. Amen? But if I was to be really honest, this was 15 or 20 years ago, or if I was a teenager way back, I would have come in here for the candy and the games and the funny costumes. But as soon as you said go and sit in the sanctuary, some funny sounding guy with an accent is going to talk about his faith, I would have left. Anyone know what you're talking about? That's where I would have ended up. So I do want to share my story into how a guy went from darkness to light, hoping and believing that if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you'll see the truth and God's love for you. Because in all honesty, I was raised, as Pastor said, in Liverpool, England. You guys heard of that place? Home of the who? The Beatles. I mean, I was raised there. I was raised five doors down from a humongous church. Say church. No, put an E in it. Church. Not church. That's tongues for church. I was raised five doors down from a humongous church. There we go. I'll tweak it for you. But I spent so much time in that church. It was a giant building, you know, with the gargoyles on the side and all these different images and all the rest of it. And no one ever stopped and told Booktooth Brian as a kid, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about the darkness? Have you ever heard of the light? Do you consider life? See, I went there as a kid to play with what? My G.I. Joes. I went there because it was a big field and I went to play what? Soccer? No, 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 no. What is the sport? It's a ball that you kick with your foot. And anyone here with a high IQ or a low IQ, what does a foot and a ball make? Football. I played football. Not that other thing you guys play where you throw, you know, the loaf of bread at each other and all the rest of it. Forgive me. That's called American football. I played football. I'm getting in trouble now. I played football. I played football. I did martial arts. But my life was just 
It didn't matter. I didn't know what it was about. I was in the darkness. I didn't understand. There was never a church like this. I was never around someone talking about Jesus. And my life really took a turn at the age of 13. And what do you think happened? I watched a movie called Police Academy 4. You guys remember those films? And in that movie was the first time in many ways that actually America saw skateboarding on the mainstream. I saw it as a kid in England. I thought it was all stunts. It was all Hollywood. I thought, man, it would be cool to do those kind of things on a skateboard. Because back then, you know, the decks were old fish shapes and no one knew what they were doing really. And a few months later, on vacation in New Jersey of all places, the first time in America with the 7-Eleven, you know, and the waves and the caramellos, I fell in love with America. But also, on my 13th birthday, a guy came riding down the street and what did he do? He ollied up a curb. For me, that was it. The rest is history. I went back to Liverpool. I fell in love with skating, and that's all I've known since. And I talk about this because I challenge people with this idea. How many of you guys have big dreams? Ten of you. Amen. Well, my dream was skateboarding, and it wasn't because you made money. It wasn't because you became famous. Liverpool is a rough place for everyone that lives there. Don't be deceived in this. Every single person in England is a soccer hooligan. Amen. I mean, the queen is a soccer hooligan. She just doesn't show it. But there's me in England getting all kinds of trouble and chaos, falling in love with skating. And that's what my life was about to be about. It was all my dream. I was all in. I was getting into fights and trouble. I wanted to get away from that. So this wooden toy of mine that I fell in love with, it just began to blow up in America. It just took off. And as it took off, there's Brian in Liverpool jumping off things like this, jumping downstairs, jumping down rails. And this makes, if you're 15, 16, 17, you might want to close your ears now. But in England, you finish school when you're 15. How amazing is this? So guys, sell a bunch of candy and lemonade. Graduate, fly over there. Get to do it. Amen. But there's me finishing school at 15. And I've been skating for two years. And I get a phone call from the most famous skateboarder ever, Tony Hawk. Do you want to come and live in America? I mean, this kind of English invasion was happening in the skate culture. And these kids from Liverpool, people like me and guys from England who were jumping downstairs, they were getting in the magazine so much so that there was a, an industry being made. So I don't know how my mom allowed me to do this. I guess I was responsible. And of course, God's grace. Amen. But there goes Brian at 15, moving to America, living in an apartment with four or five guys, getting paid every month living off Taco Bell, and spending all your days doing what? Skating, going in and out of jacuzzis, and not knowing God. And what does the Bible say? What does it benefit man if you are gaining the whole world but losing your soul? Life was great. I didn't have time for a place like this. You couldn't have drugged me in here. It was all about me, all about skating, and I was gaining everything I cared about. But the Bible actually says I was losing my soul. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have a thought in my mind for him. Instead, skating began to blow up even more. And picture being 15, 16, 17 and going from a couple of hundred bucks a month to a couple of thousand bucks a month to where now you have a deck and a shoe and there's video games. And I mean, everyone just wanted a part of the Tony Hawk bubble. And I happen to be on that team. So within a few years, you're making sometimes 10 or 20 or $30,000 a month. I mean, you have shoes in all these big stores and they blow up and you're making like two or three hundred thousand dollars a year. And of course, as a kid, that's great. I mean, for you, what that's saying is as your dream is taking place, you're saying, I finally made it. And as you think about it and all the things you want in life, think about the Beatles themselves, even for a moment. Think about George Harrison towards the end of his life. I mean, what did he say? 
after all the music, after all the fame, all the women, all the religions, really, aside from Christianity, he said, is this it? Is this it? Every day we get up and we medicate with this accomplishment, that accomplishment. It's the gym. It's cooking this. It's achieving that. It's getting this status. It's owning this. It can even be within the church what we have. I've got to have more than the next person if you don't know God. But see, that's where I was. I was accomplishing all these things. My life wasn't tough. And then around the age of 19, as things began to transition, who do you think I met? Not Jesus. I met a girl from California who drives on the wrong side of the road still, who speaks with an accent still, and has the nerve to call what? Football, soccer. I mean, crazy, right? But by the grace of God, I mean, because I was so wise back then, I mean, there's money in the bank. I'm in all the magazines. I have never heard the word responsibility. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I didn't know what was going on in life. Put you guys, put your hands down. It doesn't look too good. But there's me, and I say, well, I'm about to go back to England, and we've been madly in love for four months. I mean, I love the way you look. I love the way you make me feel. I love all the things you do for me. So who was I really loving? Myself. Amen. That'll preach right there. Why don't we drive out to Vegas tomorrow, tell no one and get married? And she was obviously a crazy American because she said, I do. And so two days later, Brian is now married. He's got money in the bank. Life's all about him. But am I living in the light or the darkness? I still would have walked out of here, took all your candy. I would have been nice and kind and enjoyed the worship and said, okay, you know, this is a pretty cool place. But I didn't really have time for God. And so we went into this marriage with what idea? Your whole life you're spent thinking, this is the right person. The day is going to be like this. It's going to be so good. And we were madly in love. We were honest to each other. There was integrity. But within a year or two of fighting, what do you think begins to happen? Say reality. What happens when you put two sinners together? It is not good. I mean, if you're married, let me just preach on this. Would you marry yourself? That will preach right there. I know I wouldn't. But there we are fighting, realizing, well, maybe you're not the right person. Maybe I need someone else. Maybe this person that flirts with me is better for me. Or maybe that guy that you grew up with is better for you. Maybe we've missed it in a Hollywood ending. We see all the days of our life. Why isn't it happening for us? And so before long, a guy who was a skateboarder, going around the world, living for himself, living in the darkness, not knowing Jesus, was divorced from this woman. We'd had a son. Life had been good. Everyone that put your hands up and said, man, those dreams you have, praise God for dreams. That's good. But I tell these young kids when I speak to them, can you imagine accomplishing your dreams, thinking everything was together, and suddenly reality kicks in? I can work on my skateboard tricks all day. As a pastor, you can shape the message all day. You can build your business. But once our marriage had failed, I said, really? And for the first time in my life, all this anger as a kid came back. For the first time in my life, I began to feel depressed. And I wasn't a guy that drank like crazy or partied or did crazy stuff. I was a thinker. I mean, I come from England where Charlie Darwin's on the money, amen? I mean, he should be taken off by now. If we're going to go there, let's have a real conversation. But I didn't know it. I said, okay, I'm going to prove this stuff. I'm overliving. I'm divorced from this woman. I don't want to be around anymore. And so picture being 16, sitting here saying, wait a minute, this guy before me didn't know about God, was raised next to a church, lived a life in darkness, accomplished his dreams. And listen, you could have offered me more. I didn't want it. I was around all these people that have everything. You know why? Because all their kids got started skating and I was around them. I seen it all. Everything they had and what they had wasn't satisfying them. So there's me divorcing this woman and I finally just said, you know what? God, whoever you are, I'm over this. Meaning, whoever you are, 
I don't want to live anymore. Meaning, if I just evolved, I'm an ape anyway, so what's the difference? I mean, who matters that, what matters that I'm divorced from this woman? Who cares if the president's who he is or what happens in this nation, what happens with that? If I just evolved anyway, nothing really matters. But you know what, God? Whoever you are, I remember saying this. God of Abraham, who's that guy? The Muslim God, the Jehovah Witness God. I mean, I just put God in the same category as UFOs and Sasquatch and all the rest of it. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's how English people think. I was just like, who's God? Why do I need this guy? And as I began to get the paperwork went through, I was divorced. I was over it. I was fighting with her, fighting with her family. I was angry. I was getting into a lot of fist fights and trouble with the police. And of all the religions I challenged, of all the things I looked at, realizing that Buddha just left his family and went and meditated, sat in a field. Hey, that's a great thing to do if nothing matters. Just go sit in a field, but never talked about sin. Never talked about my issues. The Rastafari, the Bible coming down the Nile and becoming the Pibli. What's going on there? I looked at it. I was harassing priests and all these different faiths and emailing them, sitting with them. I didn't want God to be real because I didn't want to be around anymore. And this could be the part of the night where you go, man, this guy is saying a lot of stuff, but can I tell you, this is the world we live in. We live in a world where there is divorce, there is the pain, there is suicide, Amen. We live in a world where even tonight in our community, we're blessed to be in here. Thank you, church, for honoring God and blessing many people. But we live in a dark world. I didn't know that. And for the first time in my life, as I was sitting there, I said, God, I am over this. But finally, one day, what did I pick up? The Bible. Amen. You guys own a Bible? You guys read it? People's blood were shed for this book, a book that has so much knowledge and information, and it claims to be God's revelation to you, but I'd never took the time to read it. And there is an old Calvary Chapel saying, don't put it down unless you've picked it up, but I'd never picked it up. And I picked it up one day and I read Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the first book of the Bible. If I was sitting with you saying, I'm divorced from this woman, I'm angry, I'm overliving, what verse would you give me? Because God gave me the verse the first day I ever read the Bible. He says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image. Really, I'm made in your image? My funny looking nose and my buck teeth at the time and my accent and all the things I had going on. I'm made in your image. And what was my question? If I'm made in your image, God, why does life suck? Why does it hurt right now? I mean, the dog isn't made in your image. It's a canine. The cat isn't made in your image. It's a feline. But you're saying, I'm made in your image. Why does it hurt me? And we have those questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? We all try and do good stuff, right? But that isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible says none of us are good all of sin, but I didn't know it yet. And so what do we see, if I could put in a nutshell, what took place in the next seven months of my life was me reading the Old Testament rapidly in the Hebrew, harassing pastors. I mean, I was literally didn't do anything else besides I wanted to disprove God, but God was beginning to draw me unto himself. Amen, because that's how God is good. He loves us and cares for us. But what did I see in the Bible? Well, God, you put them in the garden. Okay. You made them in your image. Okay. And you said, don't eat of this tree. And so what did we all do? We all went over to the tree right away, and we're still trying to eat of it today. Amen. They went over to the tree. God said, don't do this. They did it, and they sinned against God. And so they were separated from God. They died spiritually that day, not able to know his presence in the same way, but they also went on to die in the flesh. Well, God, that's a crazy story. I mean, how many thousand years ago are you saying that is? If you're good, what did you do? What, what did God do? He spoke to a man called Abraham. 
a pagan. And said, Abraham, know all the people in your world, they kill their firstborn son. I'm not going to do that with you. What I'm going to do with you is I'm going to bless the world through you and through all the generations that come through you. Okay, God, sounds good. He spoke to a guy called Moses. What did he say to Moses? I'm going to give you a couple of commandments. Don't blaspheme. Don't lie. Don't do this. Don't do that. And how many of you guys know we have all sinned and blasphemed against God at least one time in our life? Amen. If we don't put up our hand right now, we're lying. All of us. So you're saying, God, why are you telling me I'm bad? Why are you telling me I'm a bad guy? And what did God begin to do? And if we're honest, I'll just tell you, I was a vegan back then. I was a lot slimmer than this. I was even slimmer than in the video. I mean, I ate mush and soy and all the rest of it that my wife was thinking about, even though we were separated. But the Old Testament gets pretty crazy, right? Every year, take the innocent lamb who can't do nothing to you and cut it into pieces. God, this is brutal. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Take the goat, put your hands up on it, transfer your sin, and put it outside the city. I mean, what's the, is this OCD? I mean, the death angel is going to come down and kill everyone, put blood over the doorposts. Every year, go behind the veil, and if the guy dies, pull him out with a rope. I'm like, God, this is barbaric. As I read the Old Testament, I mean, think about it. We say some crazy stuff sometimes, right? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? I mean, like, what does that mean? I didn't know all these things. I'm trying to be overliving, but what is God doing? He's giving me knowledge. He's speaking into me. He's laying a foundation like I'm doing with you right now. And finally, Brian gets to the New Testament after a few months of community service and anger management and still more money coming in. And we get to the New Testament. And what does it say? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. We hear that so much. And we say, oh, that's a biblical Word. The Word, not to a Jew. To a Hebrew, the Word is everything God ever spoke. Everything God ever spoke. What do you mean this everything you ever spoke is coming to be? John 1.14, what does it say? And the Word became flesh. Are you saying everything you ever spoke stepped into time 2,000 years ago and lived on purpose? God, why did you do that? What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. God so loved me in my sinful state. God so loved you. Wait a minute, God. So what does this word mean? It means, well, when John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why they were cutting up lambs, Brian. Because they couldn't give an atonement for themselves. They couldn't sacrifice. Jesus came as the once and for all sacrifice. We don't need to do it anymore. Amen? It means that in 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, that we can no longer offer sacrifices. That means that the goat that was called the scapegoat, where we get that word, that was put outside the city, where was Jesus crucified? Outside the city. Oh, this is getting interesting. That old statement, you know, I make up a lie and I give it to you and you make up a lie. This is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of Jewish history. And people just aren't that good of liars. Amen. This is what God's saying. Okay, the blood in the doorpost, what is that a shape of? The cross. Covering us. Covering you and I. I get it now. I see it, God. But I'm still divorced. I'm still mad. I still don't want you to be real. And here's the reality. You could be in this church and have been raised in the church. Your grandparents came here, your parents dragged you. You could have all the sayings in the Bible. It could be all over your fridge. But do you know God? Because I didn't. I knew all about him. I could have said everything I just said already back then because that's part of my testimony. But I didn't know Jesus. And here's a radical truth that we often miss in Christianity. How many of you guys know there's a funny-sounding Englishman who's now an American citizen speaking before you? You can put your hands up unless you're asleep. Amen? If they're asleep, nudge you. You know that I'm here. You don't have to have faith anymore. 
You know that I'm here. You've experienced me. What I didn't realize about the Bible is you can know God. You can know Jesus. We often leave that out, and scientists say, well, give me evidence. The evidence is you will meet God. You will meet Jesus. I was about to have an encounter with Jesus, and when you meet him, you no longer have faith in him. You know that you know that you know that he's real. Amen? I have faith in the church. I have faith in the word. I have faith in the worship. I put my faith in the motion, but once you meet Jesus, it is a done deal, but I hadn't met him yet. I just thought like that, you know, that TV show, The Simpsons, that, you know, we go up the escalator and we get to the end and we're like, oh, St. Peter's here at the, you know, Pearly Gates. I guess we all wasted our life doing this for Jesus, but actually it happens to be real. Thank you, God. That isn't what the Bible teaches. See, I was going to God to fix my life, but God was coming to me if I would have been sitting here today. And what is he saying? He's saying all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We say, well, I'm a good person. No, you're not. James 2.10 says, if you've lied once, what are you? A liar. And even if you say you're a human, you've got to answer the question, why do you die then? Why did my mom pass away from cancer? Why are crazy things happening to people in this room right now? It's happening because of the curse. The Bible gives us an explanation where other things don't. And when they try to, they are always changing their theology. The Bible was beginning to speak to me, but I was going to God to fix my life. But God in his grace was coming to me to say, Brian, it's not about you. It's about me. And I'm coming to you to show your sinfulness. I'm coming to you to show you of your, your lies and your lust and your anger and all the things you carry that you and I are no different. We're all born the same way, raised in diapers, going through puberty, clenching our fists and saying foul things to people throughout our life. We even head in the worship high on acid. I mean, here he is worshiping Jesus. Amen. Darkness to light. I didn't know this yet, though. So there's me in my state still needing to know Jesus. And I bought a house. I said to my ex-wife, hey, just for the sake, why don't we stay together until my son is five and just try and make it work at least. So you know what? When I finally end my life, I mean, I wasn't like that. It was just so dark and wicked and just, just such a pressure on me. I was just in so much pain. I couldn't bear it. But I really thought, well, if there's no God, it doesn't matter. They'll be better off without me. But in that stage in my life as I was going through that, I'd gone to a church where I'd heard Galatians 5 preached all about my sin. I'd heard that verse in Matthew 7, 21 that convicts all of us. It just says that many will come to Jesus at the end of their lives and say, Lord, Lord. He'll say, I never knew you. Well, that kind of answered the question of all the crazy things the church has done in the past, you know, with kids and money and harassing people. Okay, God, I get this. But I'd said, let's just stay together for the sake of our son. And even if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to be around anyway. You'll have a home. My son will know I at least made the... And how, just think about it. How sad is that reality? That's where the guy before you was. But that night when I went home, all excited about church, hearing more of God's word, I got in a fight with my ex-wife. A big fight. And as I got in a fight, I sat there that night in my office, the true story. And this is fun, by the way, when you're sharing this at a skate park. And all the kids are like, bro, this dude is tripping. To sit down like this and go, you want to get crazy? This was my life. 12 years ago, in my office, in the house, I still live in, getting on my knees and going, God. And I was specific. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. I mean, I was like, God, you know, Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton. I'm talking to you because I want to have it out now. I believe you're real. I believe this book. I believe all the things in the church that people talk about. But God, I've never met you. Like I said, I was going to God for my reasons. But he was coming to me to break me. 
He was coming to me to show me his son, that he died on the cross, shed his blood in my place, and in him was forgiveness, in him was the way, the truth, and the life. In him we go from dark, darkness into life. As I sat there with God for 30, 40 minutes, challenging him, quoting verses, saying all this stuff, this is the craziest part of my life. It was like in one instant I knew God was doing this, it was like God was entering the room, and I can only explain it of like him just putting himself on me. I know now it's the Holy Spirit, but at that time it was like he was just sealing my heart. He was awakening my heart. And a guy who comes from England with a Bruce Lee mindset, all about Eastern philosophy and critical thinking. And I wanted to major in philosophy and all these thoughts. And in one instant saying, God, I give you my life. Save me. Give you my skateboarding. Do whatever you want. I'll go get baptized at you know, the crazy church down the street. And God, I'll even remarry this woman. That's some faith right there, amen. You've been through that. The presence of God showed up that night and saved me. I sat there weeping, crying, laughing for 30, 40 minutes, saying, I can't believe this is real. And the amazing thing is when I drove out here, my wife's out there in the foyer now, amen. My son's 15, amen. Can we give it up for the Lord Jesus? I think we even have a photo maybe of my family on my son's 15th birthday that we might be able to play up here. Can, can you guys just register this for a moment, Okay. Not only are we remarried, but my son's 15. He's the kid walking around like Waldo, so you all found him, amen? But just think about this. The girl in the middle who's eight, Eden Avery Sumner, she wouldn't be our daughter and she wouldn't be alive if Jesus didn't show up. You see the little ultimate fighter-looking dude right there that would just kill everyone, Jude Micah? He wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for Jesus. And people all the time say, bro, where's the evidence? That's all the evidence you get. It's between you and God. He says, all the Father, what? As he sends out his word, it goes back and never turns void. All who confess him as Lord will be saved. So God did a mighty work in my heart many years ago. This is the story of my testimony. But where do we go from there? Is it simply that God restored my marriage? No, even if he never had, it's all about the cross. It's that he saved my soul and he began to work in me. Amen. So where do we go tonight? I have to ask the question, if God, you showed up in August 2004 in my life, if I got baptized then, why am I still here? Why are you sitting here tonight? Maybe you don't have this story. You don't have to have a crazy story. I mean, the Apostle Paul has the craziest story of all. He was killing all the Christians, killing all the believers. My story is pretty radical. But the most radical story of all is that you just don't know Jesus and you're dead in sin and the darkness. And he shows up and saves you and you step into the light. Amen. So why are we here tonight? For one, is that what God wants to do in you? But second of all, because God wants to use all of us. Amen? How many of you guys are in full-time ministry? How many of you guys are Christians? That's how many people are in full-time ministry. Amen? He wants to use all of us. He wants to empower all of us, and he has done, because you and I are all believers. And here's why I say this. Because as I've traveled around, I've seen radical things. There's the radical, you know, spiritual side. There's the radical dark side. I was in Detroit, you know, a few years ago. After a big event, we're all skating, hanging out, and a girl walks up to me, and we're going to be where the rubber reaches the, reach the road right now, but she's probably 14. Can you just sign my arm? Okay. Go to sign her arm from her wrist to her elbow. What do you think's all over her arm? Cuts. I mean, we say it like it's nothing. It's just cuts, you know, just a part of life. And I just saw my daughter. Is that where my daughter could be? And as I thought about this girl and her friend, and you know, put my side arm around her and asked the pastor to come over to her, I'm thinking, 
Does she not register that this is so familiar on her arm with so many scars that she's just nonchalantly doing it? Or is she doing it to get my attention because she needs to step out of the darkness into the light? I want to ask the question, if she was here tonight, what would you and I say to her? The same night a kid shows up, you know, innocent little kid hanging out. His dad had just passed away. He's frustrated. He's mad at God. He doesn't know what life's about. What would we say to him? The next night I go to San Jose and little tiny youth group, you know, and this was one of the months that you get busy, probably in October. And this, this girl comes in with just, you know, dyed red hair and she's tiny and she's just timid and she's just standing there and she stands there the whole service. And at the end she comes over and she goes, I just want to know. A few years ago I got in a fight with my mom and she stabbed me in my side and got arrested. And within a few weeks living with my dad, he put my head through a window. I just want to know, what can you tell me? And we have to ask ourselves that question tonight. Why am I still here? What would I say to that girl? The next day or a day later, I'm in Texas, and a guy that isn't even a believer comes to the event, and his girlfriend's just left him for another guy, and he's thinking about going home, getting one of his guns, and doing you know what. We've got to ask the question, as great as it is to show a picture and say, thank you, God, the church tonight is putting on an event called from what? Darkness into light, light and darkness. What is this all about? Why are we here? Because I quoted the verse earlier, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But let me just read for you for a second what Jesus also says in John 1 and verse 3. It says, through Jesus all things were made. That means every one of you. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the what? Light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, even as it is doing right now into your life. And the darkness has not or will not or cannot overcome it. Amen? Verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light came into the world. You see, Jesus said radical things. In John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. You heard my story. He did that. He says, But I have come to give them what? Life and life more abundant. Life to the fullest. You see, Satan came in to pour the darkness out as people fell under the curse and lived that way, but I'm no longer there anymore. So as I think about this girl with the cuts, or think about this guy that wants to blow his brains out, or think about this or that, or think about you wherever you are, what does it mean to say we're going from darkness into the light? And you know the verse I sit with people and share? It's a verse you would all know if you're in the church. Powerful verse, I just want to speak over you tonight. If you don't know your purpose, if you don't know why you're still breathing, if you're going through hard times saying this is too heavy for me, can I tell you it is too heavy for you, but it's not for God, amen? He tells us to cast our burdens upon him. This is what the Apostle Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2.10. It's my go-to verse every day, every situation. He says, for we are, see, what does it say right there? For we Stop right there. Not we might be. Not we should try to be. Why is your arm cut and you're asking me this question? Why did your mom do this to you and then your dad did this? Why is your life upside down? What can I tell you about who you are, whether you're in Christ or not? For we are. That's who you are in life. That's who Brian is. That's who you were made to be. We are God's handiwork. We were made what? In Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reason you have breath, the reason there's oxygen, the reason there's blood, the reason all this chaos, the world is in sin, it's dead, it's cursed, it's dark, but the reason you're still here is because God has something for you to do. Why is the skateboard made? To be ridden, to be skated. Do you guys know why all these instruments are made? 
They're only made to worship Jesus. The Bible says all things are made by him, for him, and through him. Women, why do you buy all those shoes and put them in your closets? Because they're meant to be well, worn. Men, why do we take a drill? What do we do with it? We drill them. How can I drive out here and know tonight that I'm going to share with you a message because I am God's handiwork or workmanship? The girl with the cuts, you're set apart for God. He has a plan for your life. The kid doesn't want to live anymore. Listen, I can pray. I can share. I do. But this is something we have to realize when we're talking about darkness and light, that all of us are made in God's image, and we are his handiwork. We are his workmanship. And we got to say today then, well, where did this all go wrong? I get it. It's Halloween. It's spooky. You know, I mean, there was a kid walking around here with, was it a Chucky mask on? I mean, that kid scared me. I was like, I mean, I have angels encamping about me, the Bible says, but that kid was scaring me. You guys see that kid? That's probably why there's less people here tonight. They were like, what is going on? But the reality is it's Halloween. There's all these things going on. Let's just say this from the start. Who actually rules hell? Satan doesn't rule hell. Did you know that? Jesus rules hell. Jesus rules everything. This whole night of Halloween and dead this and worship this and all the rest of it, we call it a harvest festival because every day for us, it's about Jesus. But so as we look at the darkness and all these facts, the ghouls and the witches, and there is a very deep reality to it. There is an occult. There is an agenda. Satan is doing things. Read Genesis 6 and see the fallen angels and the things in the world. But for you and I today, what does it mean to consider the darkness? If I was to say to you, who actually rules the age that we live in, do we know? There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 4.4. If you have it on the screen, let me just tell you about the world we live in. In the world that I drove out from California to here. In the world we'll be hanging out here for a week. In the world of Halloween and tonight and darkness. What does the Bible say? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Who's the God of this age? Satan. Is he more powerful than God? No. Does God allow him to do this? Yes. He's given him a certain season and a certain time. So Satan is running rampant on the earth doing all kinds of crazy things. How does he deceive people? Does he say, Brian, listen to Slayer all day, write 666 on your wall, put your hands up like this and kill lambs and do weird stuff. And Is that what he says to do? What does Satan tell you and I to do? He doesn't even tell us to worship him. You know who he wants us to worship? Ourselves. All Satan wants us to do in this world is worship ourselves. You know what I gave my wife out there to run the card with? An iPhone. What is it about me, the iPhone? It's me. What do we go on today? Facebook. It's all about me. YouTube, MySpace. Remember that old website? We live in a world that's all about us all of the time. It's me, 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 me. When we talk about the darkness, Brian's whole career was about me. It was never about God. It was never about Jesus. All Satan calls us to do in this world is live for ourselves because you know what Satan did in the garden? Think about this. Who was Satan? He's Lucifer. I mean, he's the lead worship angel. God empowered him with every talent and gift he had, and all he did was turn the phone around and said, I'm going to take a selfie and live for me. Is it wrong to take selfies? Go for it. They're funny. Amen? But I'm saying this. We live in a world of darkness, but all that world really is is a world of us. As a kid, when I celebrated Halloween, I just wanted money. You go to houses in England and once you're 12, they give you a bunch of money. There is the occult. There is the worship. There is crazy stuff going on in our nation. But I have to tell you tonight, Satan is the god of this age. 
The darkness of the world we live in is simply a world where it's all about us. And isn't this what he did in the beginning? We don't normally preach on Satan. We don't want to talk about him. We don't want to give him any glory. But I think it makes sense on Halloween just to put him in his place and let him know who really rules and reigns. Amen? And where did this all begin to begin with? The Bible says Satan has been a liar from when? The beginning. In Job, we see he shows up to God, and God even says to him, Have you considered my servant, Job? We know he goes around the earth like what? A roaring lion seeking to devour whom he may. But aside from him, because we have power over him in Christ, amen, where does it begin? And what do we do with Adam and Eve? How many of you guys want to get to heaven and give Adam a good kick in the shin? You know, I mean, won't do it because God's there. But man, some hands went up right away there. You guys, calm down, you know, in your anger, don't sin. But in reality, as we look at the Bible, all of us would have done it. What I want to do here in Genesis 3 is just help us understand more about ourselves and the world we live in and the darkness and see is what God has called us into. So Genesis 3, and here's what's happened. God has made man in his image. He put Adam into a trance, took the woman out of his side. He's formed them as one, which tells you something that Satan didn't show up until they were married. Amen. There's some grace in that. But he says, all these things I've made for you, I gave you the best this and the best that. You know, none of the animals eat each other. You can play with black widows. I mean, you can play with the tigers, great white sharks, which is showing up all over Huntington Beach right now. You can swim all around them. Nothing matters. But there's one thing I don't want you to do. Just don't do that. Just don't do that. So what did we all do? We looked at that and said, why not? Look at what it says in Genesis 3 here. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. When you think about the fruit, was it really the fruit that the fact that she ate it and disobeyed God? Because that verse started with this statement. It says, when. There was something in the woman that when she seen it, there was something that was bending her towards it. There was something in the garden that was taking place because God gave a sermon, amen, and Lucifer gave a sermon. Who are they going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you listening to? Jesus said, the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy's sermon. But I have come to give him life and life more abundantly. That's God's sermon. It always will be, and it's free. It says, when the woman saw the tree was what? Good for food. It would make me feel good. Aside from God and everything he said. How many of you guys like godly advice? Five of you. Well, raise your hands. Eat some more candy, you guys. Amen. Wake up. This message too intense. But the reality is that they're there in the garden. The only advice they had was godly advice. There was no one else around. But as they ate of the fruit, it says she saw it was good for food. It would make me feel good. It was pleasing to the eye. She saw it. Couldn't take her eyes off it and had to have it. And it goes on to say it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Meaning she would think the way she wanted. She would do things outside of God. She would come up with her own reasons for this and her own reason for that. There's three things we see in the garden that entered in before she ate it that brought about the darkness in the world we live in. It says she took some of it and ate it. She gave some to her husband, way to go, Adam, who was there with her, and he also ate it. You see, they switch roles too. He was the head to lead. God was the one who told him, this is what I want you to do. So he obviously wasn't covering her there. In fact, later on in Hebrews or Romans, it accounts the sin to Adam as the covering. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, already wanting to deal with it, deal with the darkness, hide their sin, not bring God into it. And you could be there tonight. Then the man and his wife, listen to how sad this is, the saddest story in the Bible. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. How many of you guys want to hear God? I mean, the worship tonight were like, thank you, but imagine hearing God. I mean, I want to hear God. And they heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from God among the trees. I mean, they're his children. He made them in his image. Beautiful, perfect, and God shows up. Son, daughter, where are you? What we see in the garden is there was three things, the way it would make them feel, the way it looked to them, and what it would do for their minds. It's the same thing for us today. Being born in the sin, we're separated from God by these things. I mean, think about this. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is. So forget the word Christian for a moment. Let's just use the, use the word follower or worshiper. What are we treasuring tonight? What am I focused on? What am I talking about? What is my agenda? What am I treasuring in my heart? Don't use the word Christian for a week and say, did I get up this week and treasure God? Not religiously, get away from that. Do I actually want to worship him? Do I need to say, Holy Spirit, stir me up? Stir me up to worship you? Where your heart is, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. For me, my focus was what? Skating. And it brought me the whale's accolades. But I wasn't close to God. I was in the darkness. Then I got married to my wife. And it was great to have a wife and a child. But even the good things in life, money and fame and success and a wife and all these things that were mattering then, they can still be used of God. But I was still living in the darkness. And you see, this is the picture throughout the Bible. This idea that these three things that the enemy always uses to distract us, keep us focused on someone else, the person you don't need to be talking online, the desire for more and more money. I mean, think about it. When that young, rich guy came to Jesus and said, good teacher, Jesus said, why do you call me good? Are you saying I'm God? Do you get who I am? Why do you say I'm good? Only God is good. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You could be here saying, what must I do? And he begins to tell Jesus of all the good things he's done, all the commandments he's, he's kept. And we already established today that no one can do that. Amen? Jesus let him roll with it. And Jesus said, there's one thing you've got to do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. It isn't about the money. It's about the heart. It's the heart is still dark. He's still bound by these things. Think about the story of the guy, the four people who hear the gospel, the sower and the seed. Four people hear the gospel, but only one actually remains in Christ because the rest of them are distracted by three things. What am I making this point casually without going too deep into the scripture now? There was three things in the garden that caused them to fall that they were caught up in. There's three things that you and I, even as Christians, are going to be entangled with. But you remember what Jesus did as soon as his ministry began? He walked the Jordan and God shows up. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's the father. The son just got baptized. Who else shows up? The Holy Spirit, like the form of a dove. Here, meet Jesus' ministry. He's anointed. He's about to go into the synagogue. He's about to go to his disciples. But where does he go? How many guys want to be led by the Spirit? Careful now. It says, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by Satan. How many things was he tempted with? Three. Are they the same three things from the garden? Yes. Are they the same things that bring about darkness even for the believer? If you're in Christ, praise God, but your sin will still find you out. We need to always be giving it to God. But Jesus was tempted with food, with security, and with glory. The same three things they were tempted with. And even in 1 John 2.15, I'm going to just quote it real quick. It tells us this in 2.15. 
Brian, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, this is everything. He doesn't say some of the things. This is everything, these three things. The lust of the flesh. Do we see that in the garden? Yes. Do we see Jesus overcoming? Yes. The lust of what? The eyes. I have to have it. And the pride of life. You see, if Jesus didn't come and overcome those things, he never would have lived a perfect life. Adam and Eve fell because of three things. Well, he overcame them, proving in the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit he could do it. You and I don't need to do it. We don't need to be Jesus. He's already done it. Amen? But this is a warning even for Christians to say he's still trying to tempt you with the same three things. Why am I going this avenue from my testimony? Because for me as I travel, it's a lot about evangelism and outreach. I see a room of people who have been called to follow God and all of you have the power of the Holy Spirit to shine the light in greater ways than myself. And even we hear about Jesus doing, amen. I'm the guy on the stage preaching, but Jesus said, greater things will you do. I mean, think about this for a moment. What were Jesus' first words to his disciples? He just did all that we talked about. He showed up to what? Simon, Peter, and Andrew. James and John, what is his first words? Not, hey, bro, how's it going? Cool, you guys are fishermen. Where are you guys from? What does he say? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That's called the Great Commission. Follow me. Do you understand who I am? Do you see the darkness? Do you call it in the light? And we leave the second part out, I'll make you fishers of men. A few chapters later, when the religious rulers come to Jesus, what do they say? What is the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God, which is follow me, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is what? Fish for men. Do you see the great commission is throughout the Bible? Then he lives for three and a half years with you and I. He performs signs, miracles, and wonders. He heals this person. He feeds the 5,000, though they all don't follow him. And then he says, I'm going to be here for eternity. I'm going to die. You guys are my sheep. And what happens to him? He dies, and they all freak out. They all deny him in a sense. They all flee. What is going on? What's going to take place? I thought he was the Messiah. And finally he shows up in Galilee. So picture it. There's you and I. Here's Jesus. No way. He's really alive. Praise God. He showed up in the room to them before this, but now he's coming. And they're probably thinking, here's the consummation of Israel. There's going to be no more death. We're going to walk the streets of gold. We're going to get an inheritance from God. And he shows up. And what does Jesus say? All, not some, all authority, I've overcome death, I've overcome the grave, I have the keys to life, all authority has been given to me, therefore, what does he say? Go. The same thing he said when he first walked up to him, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, is the last thing he said before he took off into heaven, all authority has been given to me, therefore, Go. I am the light of the whale. We can overcome the darkness. Therefore, go. It is called a great suggestion, isn't it? It's called a great what? And I was driving one day just, just preaching to myself. You know, pastors do that a lot. You should do it. It's good for you. But I'm like, it's the great co-mission. Isn't that crazy? Like, we're not plan B. It's the great co-mission. I mean, it's all about him. And here's the thing. If you study the word go in the Greek, like if you get into it, you know, a couple different commentators, in fact, all of them, you know what they tell you it means? Go. It means go. Here's the reality, is I'm here tonight to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell you of a sinner's life who came to faith, 
You're here because you're going to continue to go on out in the world and shine the light. We live in a way where we're so timid sometimes to say, Jesus, do you really want to use me? But can I tell you, he's already said yes. You are the Great Commission. Like I said, how many guys are full-time ministry? We all are. Think about the verse in 1 Peter 2.9, and I'm thinking on this thought. He says, Brian, Calvary Chapel, whoever strolled in here tonight, if you're in Christ, you're a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. When you go to the skate park, the Holy Spirit is there. When you go into work and the boss who is hating you and trying to fire you and you want to leave, the Holy Spirit is there. In the middle of a bad marriage, the Holy Spirit is there. We're set apart, God. Why are you calling me that? Because you're my own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, here tonight you can be thinking about my accent you can be thinking about the candy, getting the kids home. But I want to tell you, do you understand the God of the universe, the single sentence is speaking into you? Do you realize that everything we just talked about is simply put, we fell into darkness and God shined the light? I mean, think about this radical picture. Where did this all go? And I'm ending on this thought. It all began in a garden to do with a tree. It was birthed through a woman, a curse. Adam had to work hard all the days of his life by what? The sweat of his brow through the thorns and the thistles. And the serpent would for all of our days be coming after us. That's the curse. That's the darkness. How does it end? It began in a garden. Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. He would end up on a tree, a cross. He was birthed through a woman. He originally gave birth to Cain and Abel. It was a curse. Well, Mary gave birth to the Messiah, and the curse was about to be overcome. What did he wear on his head on a cross? A crown of what? Saying, men and women, you don't have to work hard anymore. Oh, you'll have pain in childbirth. Our flesh is still dead in sin. But where a serpent came in the garden to crush the heel, Jesus in what? The New Testament came to step up on his head. Can I tell you today that there's light for everyone? It isn't bound to old covenants, old things. The light has come into the world and he shines today. And can you imagine if Jesus never told us this? Why did you feed the 5,000? No reason. Why are you walking on water? Don't worry about it. Why are you on the cross? You just think too much. That isn't what Jesus did. He came and shared this message so you and I would know there's a God in heaven who loves you. There's a Savior who shed his blood for every filthy, wicked, and just foul thing I have thought, you have thought, all of us together. We're not good enough. And today he's choosing to speak through a funny-sounding English guy to tell you of his love. Where are you in this? We're all a breath away from heaven and hell. James says our life is a vapor. That's it. You might not have 40 years, 80 years. Even if you do, you don't want to get to the end of your life without Christ. If I was sitting here years ago, I wish I would have came in these doors and said, bro, this is crazy, but wow, God is listening. You Christians know why I shared so much scripture, because the word goes out and doesn't return void. You go out these doors and what do we feel? A breeze. That's how the Holy Spirit moves. Do you feel the breeze today? Is he speaking to you saying enough is enough? Why are you carrying this? You've got to release this. Is he saying to you today, you know a lot about God, but don't know him? I want to challenge us tonight. Did God bring you in here to make things right with you? Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We went out of our way today to dress up, to bring our kids somewhere, to go somewhere to get things that are, that are fleeting and perishing candy that rot our bodies and ages. But today, tonight is something offered that's free. What is it? The gospel, the light of the world. 
but all who believe that all who confess will be forgiven of every sin. Let's bow our heads right now, you guys. Let me challenge us with this. We want the free stuff in this world. We want the accolades. We see ourselves in the story of Genesis. We see ourselves in this picture. But do you see God's grace and mercy? Do you hear his feet walk on these aisles, dying in your place? Do you see his outstretched arms, wounded by the scars of my sin and your son? He's saying, child, come home. I want to ask you today, if you don't know Jesus tonight, you can. Maybe you're backstage and you say, enough is enough. My marriage isn't where I want it. My life isn't where I want it. I want to go and pursue God. If that's you and you want prayer for any of that, I want to pray for you. If God is the most important person in this room right now, aside from who's next to you, aside from what I'm saying next, if you want prayer for that, to make a relationship with Christ or sustain it, can you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Raise them up. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand to our feet, you guys. Why do we worship? Because we were made to worship him. I love that John Piper says evangelism exists because worship doesn't. We came in here to brag about Jesus, to boast about Jesus, but let me tell you, after him and his righteousness, you're the object of his affection. I've seen people raise their hands all over this room. I know for me when my children go through hard times, the only thing I want from them is to come to me to hug and kiss and love on them and tell them it's okay. This isn't about skating. This isn't about Halloween. This is about you and Jesus. I just challenge you right now, for those of you who raise your hand, would you be bold like Jesus was for you? And would you get out of your seats and come down to the front so we can pray for you? In fact, even more so, could you look to the person next to you and say, do you need to go down there? Do you need me to walk down there with you? Give you guys a moment. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> People think God's not alive. Amen. Anyone else, you guys? It isn't about the music. It isn't about the church. It isn't about walking down here. It's all about Jesus, but God uses all of this. This was made for him. This message was made for him. Anyone else, you guys? Don't carry it. Don't wait. Darkness to light. It's free. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And as pastors and team just begin to lead, Chase, let's just raise our hands for a moment and just worship God. I just want to pray blessing over us. God, we thank you tonight that you're good. The Lord, 12 years ago when I came to you, God, said I'm dead in sin. I'm a sinner. I need to turn from my ways and follow you. God, you showed up. To God, wherever your people are today, God, the darkness they once tasted, God, thank you for bringing them into the light. God, you would just remind them today of how precious you are. Stir up their hearts, God. But God, how precious they are to you. You gave your best. But God, for people in here today who are challenged right now, they're wondering where you are in their life. They're saying, God, I need to lay aside some weight. I'm struggling. Would you just affirm them, God? Would you show them that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever? You can't love us anymore. You gave your best. The cross proves it. I just pray tonight, God, as we begin to worship and lift you up, 
you're in our midst, you're in our presence. Church, if you need prayer for anything, anything going on in your life, come down. People will pray for you. There's things you're going through. My family and pastors and team will be here for you. You ready to worship him? <laughs> you ready to lift him up, church? God, we just praise your name. God, we just thank you and we bless you.